The following message has been brought to you by Trinity Baptist Church. For more information, visit us on the web at trinitybc.org. Thank you, Pastor Scott. No, as I was thinking back, I thought it was kind of ironic, kind of funny, because when I first sat down in Pastor Brandon's office, he's like, have you ever taken a class on preaching before? I said, no. He goes, well, have you ever preached before? I said, not longer than 10 minutes. And he goes, okay. He goes, um, so I think you should preach on a Wednesday before you leave. And I was like, I'm okay if you don't want me to. I'm good. And he goes, too bad. You're going to do it anyway. And then I'm thinking back a few years ago when I was in high school and I was back there in the youth group before my family left. Uh, when Pastor Brandon Phillips was still here as the youth pastor, I came in. And then he said, so, Paul, I'm going to teach you guitar, and you're going to sing. I said, okay. And so he hands me a guitar, and I'm practicing. And we get two or three weeks into it, and he says, all right, now you're going to stand up on that stage, and uh, you're going to lead uh, the song service. And I said, I would rather not if, if, if that's okay. And he said, too bad, you're going to do it. So we've come full circle now. Pastor Brandon making me play guitar, and now Pastor Brandon having me preach. Um, I'm grateful for both of them in my life, uh, guys like that, guys like Pastor Scott uh, that have been patient with me and taken the time to mentor. Uh, they've been really good examples in my life, not just in preaching and music and work, but also just in life in general and always looking out for me. Uh, speaking of good examples, open your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 4. We'll be looking at verses 12 through 16 together tonight. 1 Timothy 4, 12 through 16. As Paul's writing this letter, this is Timothy has been placed in charge of the church at Ephesus. Uh, he's been left in charge by the elders and even the apostle Paul himself. Uh, Paul had met him on his second missionary journey, and he had been entrusted, Timothy had been entrusted to lead this church. And as we see, as we reach this timeline, when Paul writes this letter, there is a rise up of false teachers and false doctrines uh, in this area around Ephesus that Timothy and this church are having to work against. And so Paul is writing this letter to encourage Timothy to not back down from these false teachers, but to stand up and to speak the truth. And he's telling him how to lead as a leader. And tonight, even though Paul is writing specifically for how to Timothy to lead the church, it still applies to us even here tonight, all these years later, for us how to lead each other. So First Timothy 4, starting verse 12, Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which is given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you for this night. God, I thank you for this church for this congregation, this time that we have to gather, to look into your word. God, I pray for those who are unable to make it tonight, that you'll be with their health, that you'll be with their families. God, those that are 
struggling and facing difficulty and sickness, that God, you will give them your peace that surpasses all understanding. And that God, for us here tonight, that you will open our hearts, uh, that we will be attentive to your word. God, I pray that you will speak through me and that you will speak to all of us tonight and help us to respond if you call us to. In Jesus' name, amen. Reading this first verse, let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers. And I'm looking at this when I first started reading this passage, and I'm thinking, so all I can preach this to is the teenagers in the back. I mean, I'm legally an adult now, right? Like, this is, like how do I apply this? But upon further study, we find that in this day and age with the Greek culture, the associated age for people of being an, not young is age 40 and older. And so we believe that around this time that the Apostle Paul, when writing this letter, would have been in his 70s, and Timothy would have been in his 30s. So as we're reading through this verse, let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers. How does this apply if he's speaking directly to youth? Like, surely we can only go tell the teenagers this, right? But upon study of this, we can find that another interpretation, the way we could put this to apply to all of us tonight, is let no one despise you because of your age. We live in a day and age where we have the young crowd, we have the older crowd, we have our older folks and our young folks, and what I'm seeing, and I'm sure what all of you see, and you flip on the television or even as you go into your workplace, your schools, and what do you hear, what do you see? You've got older folks, and they look at the young folks and say, you guys are all immature, you all act on your emotion, you guys don't know what you're talking about, you're all young and inexperienced. And then you got the younger folks, people like my age, and they look up and say, oh, you older folks, you got to get with the times. Like, we're not in that time anymore. Like, we gotta, we got to get on with it. And so what we got is we got this, like, kind of like an age war going on here. And we're all looking at each other, and we're pointing fingers based on our age. And we're like, like, you don't know what you're talking about. No, you don't know what you're talking about. And so I feel like we often fall into that trap. But if we're looking here, Paul is writing and encouraging Timothy, and this applies to all of us. Don't ever look any. Don't let anyone look down because of your age. And when he says don't look, don't let anyone look down on your age, he's not saying. Paul is not writing Timothy. I want you to ignore all the criticism that you get. All, all those older folks that you got in your church, those elders, don't listen to them. Just ignore them. Pay attention like they're not even there. Paul is actually encouraging him to be sensitive to what he's saying, uh, to their criticism, and not to ignore them, but in being mindful of the criticisms as a younger person in his culture to be aware of the criticisms that people would have for him based on his age and to prove them wrong. And so in the same way that elders may have criticized Timothy because of his age, we seem today that people are criticized and even mocked because of their age. But no matter what our age is, in spite of all the criticisms that we face, it is important that we remember that we are to set a godly example in our church and to each other regardless of what our age is. No matter how young we are, no matter how old we are, no matter how long we've been in the race, we are to set an example for each other. And so, how do we set a godly example? And I've got three points for us tonight. How do we set a godly example? Number one, we set a godly example by our behavior. Verse 12. Be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. And breaking these down one at a time, word. I mean, it's a pretty simple speech. We're to refrain from 
profane speech is how we speak to others it impacts how we see us. Uh, what we say matters. I, at the college where I'm at, uh, working with worship, uh, worship arts majors, those that are training like myself to lead music on Sunday morning and in worship services, uh, I can remember a student, uh, a fellow classmate of mine back in my freshman year, and he was a phenomenal musician, talented singer, but man, he had a mouth. Like, he could swear like a sailor when he wasn't on that stage. And I remember I sat down with him and had a talk with him one time. I said, man, we can't, as worship arts majors in this college, as worship leaders, we can't be using language like that. I said, you know what they're saying about you. I said, you think that it's okay, but then when we stand up on this stage together and we try to sing about the love of Jesus and his sacrifice that he made, and people are tuning us out, what we say matters. Ephesians 4 25 to 31, Paul is writing to the church's Ephesus, and he says, Put away lying, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you. And in Matthew 12, verses 34 to 37, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees. He says, You brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. But I say to you that for every idle word men speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. And so what we say, it can tarnish or it can build up our testimony. Well, how we speak to each other, just how we speak in general, what we say reveals who we really are. We can be hardworking and serve in various forms of ministry, but we can ruin our image and our testimony before others by how we speak in the language that we use. We also see not only with speech and behavior, but the behavior we have with our conduct. First Peter 2.12 Having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. James 2.14 What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but not, does not have works? Can faith save him? It's impossible to set a godly example if your behavior and my behavior and our lifestyles do not reflect that of one that has been saved and changed and had an encounter with the grace of God. If we have truly been saved and changed by God, then it will be obvious to others and to each other in how we behave in the works that result from our faith in him. So we see in our conduct in our speech and also in our love 1 Corinthians 13 verse 4 through 7 love suffers long and is kind love does not envy love does not parade itself is not puffed up does not behave rudely does not speak its own is not provoked thinks no evil does not rejoice in iniquity but rejoices in the truth it bears all things believe all, believes all things hopes all things endures all things we have to ask ourselves, are we speaking kindly to others? Does our speak reflect the testimony that we have? Does our conduct reflect the testimony that we have? Are we loving others? Are we patient with others? Are we self-sacrificing, not acting out of jealousy or spite, and not rejoicing at the misery or punishment of the others? Like, they got what they deserved, finally. <laughs> like, that's not what we're to do. So we're... And our behavior through conduct, speech, love, and faith, 
to our responsibility, our commitment to our responsibilities to our promises and to God. Deuteronomy 6 5, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Galatians 6 9, and let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. We got we gotta stay faithful. We gotta stay committed. That's how we lead by example with staying committed to our word as we were talking about on Sunday mornings where we're breaking through Matthew and Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. But I say to you, and Jesus is telling them <clears throat> that you're to be committed. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. That you should keep your promises. That you could stay committed to who you are. That you should stay committed to God. And lastly in this point, purity. And specifically sexual purity. 1 Corinthians 6.18, flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside of his body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. And we see, even way back in the Old Testament, with King David, we see, read in Psalm 51, that David, even back then, even before Christ had come, they had an understanding that purity was more than just the acts, but purity was their very thoughts, their minds. After David commits his sin, his adultery with Bathsheba, and he finally is confronted and confesses his sins to God. He says in Psalm 51.10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. So we have to remember that we set an example by our behavior through the things that we say, the way that we live, our love for others, or the lack of love that we have for others, our faith and our commitment to our responsibilities and to each other, and our purity, that is our purity of our hearts and our minds. So we set a godly example, one, by our behavior, number two, by our, our upholding of Scripture. Verse 13, till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine. How can we set a godly example if we are not abiding in God himself? If we're not reading the instruction manual, me and my dad both have that issue where we get, we get a box of instructions and we'd be handed this and we'd be like, yeah, we don't need that. I'd still do it today when I'm trying to learn how to cook and I get handed a box of brownies and I'm like, yeah, I don't need that. Throw it in the trash can, get it ready to go. I get it in the oven and I go, wait, how long was I supposed to have that in there again? Brownies are, my brownies are burning. Go back to the trash can. Now I got egg yolk all over the brownies. I got to dig it out. Read it. Mom comes in. What are you doing digging through the trash? I was like, I'm just trying to figure out how to make these brownies. In John 15:5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. In Psalm 119:11. Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Tonight, we cannot set a godly example without knowing the law of God. David understood this importance when he wrote those words, I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. How are we to know whether we're sinning or we're not sinning if we're not in the word of God? If we don't know what the heart of God is, if we don't know what his law is, how are we supposed to set an example to each other? If we, how are we supposed to set an example if we don't know what the example looks like? So we set our example of upholding Scripture through reading, but also through exhortation. 
And when we say we're exhorting one another, that is, we are challenging and encouraging each other to, to not only read the scriptures, but to apply them on a personal level to our lives. 2 Timothy 3.16-17, through 17, Paul writes to Timothy, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. So it is pointless to read the word of God, but then not apply it in our own lives. We can keep reading. I know a lot of times I'm, I've been one of those people where like, we pick up the Bible and we do the New Year's resolution. All right, I'm going to read the whole Bible, Genesis to Revelation front to back, and then we get to Leviticus and uh, we check out. I've been there. Uh, but it really does... And that, that's a good thought and all, but in the end, if we're just picking up the Bible and our goal is just to read cover to cover and see how fast we can get through it, then what was the point in even reading it in the first place? If we're not applying it in our own lives, if we're not actually taking it to heart, if we're not encouraging each other with it, if we're not teaching it to each other, if we're not saying, hey, we can't be doing that, why? Because the Bible says this. Or, hey, I know times are getting tough, but we've got to keep pushing on. Why? Because the Bible tells us so. James 1.22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So we uphold the scripture through reading, exhortation, and also through doctrine. And then doctrine as in we understand and uphold the truth. You see, Timothy in this context, he was surrounded by false teachers and doctrines. So it is important that he not only read the scriptures to the congregation, but that he also understood and had an accurate understanding and teaching of what these scriptures even meant. And in the same way for us, in a world that is lost and filled with all sorts of false ideas and beliefs, we must be in constant prayer and study of the Word of God so that way we know for sure that we are actually upholding the truth. We won't be able to plead ignorance. Oh, I taught that part of the Bible accidentally. I didn't actually know what that meant. In a time and a world where we're hearing about evolution and Islam, and we're hearing postmodernism where you can live your truth and I can live your truth, just don't tell me what to do. Or we're living the universal idea that no matter what religion, no matter what you believe, you all get to heaven. We need to be prepared and we need to be in the scripture. We need to be teaching each other. We need to be reading it for ourselves so that we can uphold the scripture accurately in the face of these false teachings. And that's what Timothy himself had to understand. This is what Paul's trying to ingrain that he until Paul returns to him, give attention to the reading, to exhortation, and the doctrine. So we are a godly example to each other by our behavior, by our upholding of Scripture. But number three, by our perseverance in the faith. Yesterday I went up to Jacksonville to the college campus and I was arriving there because I'm going to be a resident assistant in the fall, so I'm contracted to help do heavy lifting and help move students into the dorms and get everything ready and make sure we'll have a successful semester. And about midday, it's about 90 degrees outside, and it's humid because it rained that morning, and you can literally see the steam coming off the sidewalks. And we're in the office, and we've got to print out 100 check-in sheets for the new students. And I'm working with the dean of men and another student, and... The dean of men says, come with me, boys. We're going to go 
to the other side of the campus, and we're going to pick up a couple boxes of paper, and we're going to walk them back so that we can make copies. And the entire office staff looked at him and said, are you crazy? Drive your car. And he goes, man, I'm getting old. He goes, and these boys are still young. He goes, we can handle it. We'll just walk. It's healthier. And so we started walking into this 90-degree heat. It's hot. It's humid. And I'm thinking, I don't know if I'm going to make it. So we get it. And I actually mapped it out. It was about 0.6, 0.7-mile walk one way. And so we walk down this sidewalk. It's all pavement, so the heat is coming up. It's humid. And we're walking, and the dean of men is looking over his shoulder. He's like, are you going to be able to make it back? He goes, you're a little skinny. And I was like, yeah, yeah. So we get there, and we walk in. He goes, we got this. We walk in. We get to the back, and they're like, he's like, where is the fresh paper at? And they point us to the back. We go in. He goes, we got this. Oh, yeah, 50-pound boxes. And he goes, we need, and I was like, how many of these do we need? He goes, three, so we get one each. He goes, throw it over the shoulder, we'll be fine. So we get, throw the box over it. I'm walking. And then throw it over my older sh- other shoulder, walking, walking the point six, point seven mile back. He goes, Paul, you're turning red. I was like, I know, I know. And we're, we're walking, walking. And then we get to the point where we're past the first parking lot, and I just see across the football field that uphill sidewalk up back where we need to be. And we're less than halfway there, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm not going to make it. But there's nowhere to put it down because it's all just sidewalk and grass, and these guys are going to be laughing at me if I cannot carry this. And so they're getting a little bit ahead of me. I'm kind of falling behind a little bit, but I'm I'm not going to drop it. Well, I'm going to drop it because I said the last thing I need, I said I can't put it down, but at the same time, I can't just drop this on the ground in a second because it's going to make a loud crash. Paper's going to spill everywhere. They're going to be like, what are you doing, Paul? What did we hire you for? What are we paying you? And so I'm making it, and my arms, man, like I'm getting there. My arms are numb, and I'm finally, as I'm walking up to the building, <sighs> I finally get in, and I walk into that shelf. And I slide it in, and the office staff, I kid you not, is gathering around me. And they're like, are you okay, son? And I'm like, yeah. I'm like, why? What's wrong? I'm good. And they're like, because your face is redder than your red shirt. And I'm like, what? I, can't, I can't hear you with a sweat in my eyes. I mean, they're talking... And the, the, the dean of men is like, he did good, he did good. I was talking to him, he goes, you got it, man. And the dean of men was encouraging me as I went along when I'm thinking I'm not going to make it. And when I slid that box into there and I'm finally in the air conditioning after all that, there's three things running through my head, all right? Number one, I made it. Number two, maybe I should get out of the office a little bit and hit the gym. And number three, next time, just take the car. Some of you in here have been walking with the Lord longer than I've ever even been alive. You've been walking with God and you've been serving faithfully in church and in ministry. Some of you, you've been serving here all your life and you've been playing the long game. You've been faithfully serving. I just want to encourage you that even after all these years, if you're getting towards the end, if you've been serving all these years and you're thinking to yourself, I'm getting tired of this, persevere. Don't give up. Because I'm speaking for myself and I'm speaking for other believers my age right now. Speaking to our older folks in here, 
let me encourage you with this. If no one has ever told you before, I can tell you 100% for people my age, there are a few things that inspire us in a church more than to see our older folks after so many years remaining faithful to God and to their church. The folks that after decades and after years of service and they're getting tired and they're battling health problems and they've got family and they got grandkids and even great-grandkids and they're still showing up when the doors are open, they're still serving in any way you can. And I'm telling you that as someone my age, there's few things that inspire us to be involved in church and in ministry than that. In fact, I've seen the opposite in some churches that I've been in where the older folks, the senior saints, they reached the point where they all just kind of checked out. And they said, I'm older now. I don't need, that's not my responsibility anymore. Someone else has got to pick up the weight now. And so for them, teaching and ministering to people becomes less of a priority. And you see them in Sunday service, but they're not leading in any capacity. And as a result, it just so happens that people my age and even middle age, you see them start to fizzle out of those churches. And they may come once or twice a month, but they stop caring about ministry. The ministries die. Why? Because the people that were the head that have been there, they were running their race and they were going strong for so many years. But then what happened is they got tired and they said, you know what? I don't feel like doing it anymore. And they lost track and they said, you know what? I'm going to throw in the towel. Someone else can finish the race for me. And then you get people like me, and sometimes we have a tendency to be to really be lazy at my age, and we're like, I'm not picking up this weight. So if you've been in it for a long time, keep persevering in the faith. Even if it, even if it feels like you've been doing this forever, keep serving, keep setting the example. If you're in here and if you're struggling because you've been facing difficult times, the storms of life, you've lost a job, we have people in this church and the other church that I get to serve in, and people lose family members. They lose friends. They lose family. They lose parents. People face sickness and cancer. And they receive news that they will be losing loved ones. If you've reached a point in your life and you you feel like giving up and you don't have answers, persevere. Keep moving on. Keep running the race. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans 5, verses 3 through 4, but we glory in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. I have an aunt of mine. She has four children. Two of them she lost before they were even born. She's lost her dad, my granddad. She's lost her husband, and she's lost her brother. But after all these years, she has continued to stick in the faith, in spite of all of these things, she's continued to trust in God and persevere, and she's remained hopeful. And as a result, she's been able to have a testimony to so many people, believers and non-believers alike, that, hey, because of God's faithfulness to me, I am able to persevere. I can stay the course to the end no matter what happens, no matter who I lose, no matter who falls away, no matter who's sticking with me through this. I know that God is sticking with me, and he's waiting for me on the other side. So if you've been in this for a long time, if you're getting tired, if you're thinking about giving up, throwing in the towel, things are getting too difficult. If you're like me and you're standing on the sidewalk in the heat and thinking, I'm about to drop the ball on this, I can't handle it anymore. I don't, 
I'm just going to give up and go home. Someone else can pick this up. Persevere, because there's an end to it. Back to Galatians 6, 9. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. And we can rest assured that each of us will make it to the finish line, will make it to where we're supposed to be if we just keep pressing on. And at the same time, as we press on, we'll inspire others to do the same. Why? Because God's grace is sufficient and His strength is made perfect even in our weakness. Paul was writing to encourage Timothy to step up in the face of false teachings and in spite of all the criticism he was facing because of his age. It was not easy for Timothy, but he had to persevere even when it got hard. And he knew that he could, didn't have Excuse me. He knew that he couldn't give up. Paul wrote and encouraged him to keep pressing on. Verse 14, Do not neglect the gift that has given you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying of hands and of the eldership. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them, that your progress may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for, doing, for in doing this you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Keep practicing. Keep practicing what you preach. All these years, some of you are teachers, Sunday school teachers. You work with kids. I want us coming up. Keep working with people. Keep teaching them. Keep pressing on. Do not neglect the gift that God has given you. Just as Timothy was given the gift of preaching and leadership and he was tasked by Paul to lead this church, you and I have been tasked to lead each other in the faith, to be examples to each other. And so we cannot neglect, we cannot waste what God has given to us. Each of us have been given our own gifts, our own abilities, our own experience, and we must use them. We must take heed to ourselves and the doctrines. Keep practicing what we have preached. Because if we keep doing that, Paul writes, though, we will save both ourselves and those who hear us. And when Paul writes, save both yourself and those who hear you, he is not arguing for a works-based salvation. He is arguing, he is writing, encouraging, save both yourself, as in he has already been saved, but he is continuing to be sanctified and be made holy daily by following after Christ, by running the race that is set before him. And by doing so, he is inspiring others, and those who hear him will look and see that example, and they will follow after him, and the unbelievers will be drawn to Christ. So how do we set a godly example? Number one, by our behavior. Number two, by our upholding of the Word of God. Number three, by our perseverance in the faith. And as we continue to set a godly example to each other as a church and grow in Christ together, we also become a light and example to the culture around us. When my dad passed away in 2021, unexpectedly, many churches and people uh, immediately came uh, to my family's aid and stood by us and helped us when we didn't know what we were going to do. Uh, we knew that we were going to have to leave our house. Uh, we weren't really sure what we were going to do from there. And among those churches, this church, Trinity, was among them. And as this, as Trinity, as all of you who were here were helping my family and me through the loss of my dad, and as I 
was sharing with people at my college and at my church how I was able to continue pursuing my education because of help I received from Trinity and the encouragement that I received not only from pastoral staff but from all of you. I was able to share with them how going back to Trinity after all these years and seeing old faces that are still there put it in the work. They're still running their race. They're faithful to each other. And the responses that I got from even other pastors and churches and from my own classmates, I tell them all these things, and they say, that's a church. They say, that's a church that I want to be a part of. That's the kind of church that we should aspire to be. A church that is there for not only each other, they're there for their community, and they encourage each other, and they lead each other in the right direction. Be the example. If you've been the example, keep being the example. Be the example to each other. Be an example in this church. Be an example to the believers, regardless of your age, regardless of where you are. If you haven't been saved for very long, or if you've been saved for many, many years, and you're serving, continue to serve. Because as we grow together, as we lead each other where we need to be, and as we are examples to each other, we then become a light to the world who has no other example. Keep being the example, because in doing so, you will save yourself and those who hear you. As we go into this time of invitation, let's reflect together. If there's been a time, if you've fallen into the category and you feel like I have been an example because of the way I've been treating people, the way I've been treating my family, the way I've been treating my loved ones, the way I've been speaking, the way I've been acting, that we can pray to get our behavior right, that we can start living righteously before God and man. Maybe we haven't been in the Word like we've been supposed to be. It's time to get start abiding in Christ, remembering that He is the vine, we are the branches, and we can't be an example if we don't know what our example looks like what our example wants from us. Or maybe you've reached a time in your life where you face difficulty, uncertainty, or you're just getting tired. And just ask God, God, help me to stay in the race. Help me to finish strong. Knowing that as we continue, God will continue to make us more like Him and He'll continue to lead us where we need to be and others will be drawn to Him. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for this day. God, we thank you for your word, for your encouragement to us. God, I thank you that you would choose someone like me, that you would choose people like us, imperfect human beings that have fallen away from you, God, I thank you that you would choose to send your son to die for us. But God, you have not only redeemed us, but God, you have called us to be set apart, to be your light, to be your example to each other and to the world that is lost, that is hurting, that has no example. 
God, I pray for those who are in here. God, those who maybe have not been living the way you have called them to. God, I pray for those. I pray for all of us in here that maybe if there's something that we need to get right, God, maybe we've been failing in any of these areas to be an example to each other, to our families, to our friends, to the people that we don't even realize can see us. God, I pray that you will help us to make that, get that right with you, that we will turn from our own ways, that we will look to you. And God, I pray for all those who struggle, those who have been running the race strong, but God, they are starting to have doubts. God, they don't know, they don't have answers. God, I pray that they will trust you, that we will continue, we will all continue to run the race that you have given us, that we will finish strong that you would make us more like you and that we will be your witnesses to those around us. God, be with this time of response in Jesus' name. Amen.